Hi, I'm Brianne Bennett, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Today, I'm talking to Belle about cystic fibrosis, postpartum psychosis, and mast cell activation syndrome. Belle's story touches on so many different elements of life with chronic illness that I'm really excited to share it with you. She talks about insurance issues, the decision to get a port, and how to be your own best advocate. This episode has more background noise than usual, so if that's overwhelming for you, then I definitely recommend checking out the transcript at noendinsight.co. Because Belle is a parent, you can occasionally hear her daughter Mackenzie in the background. I don't want to apologize for this because I think you'll all understand that chronic illness doesn't exactly lend itself to ideal recording conditions, and I really appreciate it when people take time to talk to me however they can. I do, however, want to apologize for the occasional saw noises in the background. Those are 100% on my end because we were having repairs done to the roof of our garage and the contractors didn't exactly give us a strict schedule to plan around. Anyway, noises happen. I also want to add a quick content note to mention that Belle briefly discusses self-harm early in the episode while talking about her postpartum experience, and she also discusses sexual assault later in the episode when PTSD comes up. These are both super brief and non-descriptive, and if you hop forward a few seconds, you should be past each topic. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. And I like to start, kind of no matter what the diagnosis, with, with asking, were you healthy as a kid? Or how was your health as a kid? Pretty healthy. I played sports. Um, I was a cheerleader, played softball, um, basketball, and everything. So as far as my health as a kid, I was pretty healthy except for when I was a baby Mm -hmm. and a toddler. Um, I had a lot of migraines. Okay. So... They and children's our children's hospital never figured out why those migraines were happening. Mm-hmm. And I was very constipated as a child. Like I had to have enemas and suppositories and stuff for not only my headaches but also the constipation. So other than that, like once I started school, I really didn't have any sort of issues, didn't have issues in going into my teenage years um, and my first pregnancy with my son at 16, there just wasn't really any. Like, Um, you probably had a number of tests done for whatever, like, health-related stuff and everything was looking good at that time? Except for what they thought was asthma, which they diagnosed me with when I was 10. Mm-hmm. And then because of my depression, they said that my small size was due to anorexia. Okay. I was never anorexic. Mm-hmm. But that you were in a, like a weight class that medical professionals were suspicious of. <laughs> I've talked to yeah, other I've people always, who have kind of said that. I've always been under BMI, mm-hmm. so underweight mm-hmm. at like a 16 BMI. So they were always like, well, you're underweight, you're not eating, or if you are eating, you're probably throwing it up mm-hmm. because you're stressed. Right. Um, 
and you're like, that's not happening, but it doesn't matter, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just want to, like, so you, as it, so that was at 16, but up until that point, so your migraines had gone away kind of on their own before that? Yeah. I still had headaches and some migraines, but they weren't as frequent. Mm-hmm. And they really happened when I was having, like, allergy-type flare-ups. Okay. So now they've kind of figured out what they think was triggering it, triggering mm-hmm. them when I was little. Yeah. But they couldn't figure out, which was probably sinus headache and, yeah. like, sinus pressure. Mm-hmm. But as, and especially as a kid, I'm sure it would be really hard to, like, explain what your symptoms were. Like, you're just a yeah. little kid, and you're like, it hurts. That's it. If if you're even at that point. Okay. And then digestion had obviously improved, but you were underweight, which may or may not have been related to anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then you had your first pregnancy at 16. And as far as pregnancies go, things went pretty well. I gained seven pounds. He was seven pounds, 10 ounces. That wow. was the only abnormal. Wow. Um, and then at some point, obviously things started to change so what happened or also how was it having your first ba- like a baby I can't imagine and now as you're cuddling with your baby it's a lot of energy my, for a healthy person my first baby um I didn't hemorrhage but I was overdrugged mm-hmm. okay. um they had me on Demerol Finnegan and an epidural mm-hmm and with him, I don't remember holding him for the first time or anything like that. I just, I have pictures and that's it. That's all, mm-hmm. all I have. And after he was born, when he was five months old, I could only breastfeed him for five weeks. Um... And then I started suffering from postpartum psychosis. Okay. So I was hearing voices. Postpartum psychosis is not a thing that's highly talked about either. Mm-hmm. Right. You um, hear more about postpartum depression. Yeah, or postpartum anxiety. You're not getting that. And so they, um, when when I was dealing with that I didn't know what to do so I just kind of tried to fight it the best I could because mm-hmm. nobody you know they people say you could get depressed or you could get a lot of anxiety issues leading into after having a leading into the first year after having a baby right but nobody ever told me that psychosis was a thing and you could start hearing voices and having hallucinations right and I was having I was having hallucinations of people that weren't there people telling me to kill my son that I'd be better off without him hearing voices in my head of all of these things and that was the only real issue, and that was attributed to how much medicine that they had given me. Mm-hmm. Like at at birth. 
Yeah, because I didn't get that bonding time with him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I really needed. And had you and gone to the doctor pretty quickly once you, like, did it take you was, to a while to realize something was happening? Because I think that would be one of the yeah, difficulties. He like, was, what's going he on? He was five. He was five months old, and I checked myself into a psych ward. Okay. I woke up one morning and I looked at my mom and I said, "I need help." Yeah. And so we went. We went into. Um, the counseling associates and um, one of our local counsel- counseling places as an emergency case. And um, my mom told them that I was homicidal and suicidal and that I needed to be admitted. Mm-hmm. And of course, they verified that with me. Right. Because I was 17, about to be 18. Okay. Because he, I was 17 when he was born. Gotcha. And um, so I automatically was like, I need help. I went in for a week, and they put me on depression meds, mm-hmm. not an antipsychosis meds, because they were like, well, you are just depressed. Depressed doesn't equal hallucinations and voices. Right. And they just weren't understanding what I was saying, I guess. Or yeah. that they hadn't dealt with teen moms that were that had PTA. Like it didn't PTA. feel like they were hearing you, it sounds like. Yeah. And so we went from dealing with that and getting me getting out after a week on meds to a week later me falling asleep in class because I had taken um, two of the same meds that I wasn't supposed to take together Okay. Uh, on accident to further on in the week cutting so I immediately stopped both of those all of my meds mm-hmm. like I'm not doing this anymore right it's not working and it's not helping with what it's supposed to help with it sounds like then it slowly just kind of dissipated as my son continued to get older. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I really got sick was back in 2015, I'd fallen at work and they couldn't figure out why. Um, like kind of a fainting kind of fallen or a tripping kind of fallen? knee gave out. Okay. It was like I couldn't wait on my leg anymore. Yeah. And I just kind of melted to the floor. Yeah, yeah. Melting is a good word for something that bodies can do. After my shift. Mm-hmm. And I went to the hospital. My oxygen saturation was fine. They did x-rays on my knee. They were like, we don't know. You seem fine now kind of thing. So we're going to wrap your knee. And we're going to give you crutches, and you're going to go see an orthopedic doctor. Okay. Said, okay. Went to the orthopedic doctor. Orthopedic doctor re- looked at the x-rays, and he was like, I don't see anything wrong with you. You seem fine. You look fine. Your knee is working fine. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. 
I developed a petechial rash from my knee down that lasted a day. Nobody could explain why that happened. Just a Thought weird I had thing. A blood clot, yeah. But no blood clot. Um, so I started research on the internet because at this point I had lost my job. Right. And was it a job where you'd been on your feet? Yeah. Yeah. I and was that a was. Cashier. Okay. And that was like not feasible probably yeah and so i lost my job Mm -hmm. um, because i had had a couple of other episodes that they thought were cardiac um episodes where my blood pressure skyrocketed but my pulse rate went into the toilet per se or vice versa my blood pressure would sink and my pulse rate would skyrocket gotcha which doesn't make any because typically if your pulse rate goes up, your blood pressure could go up. Yeah. And so when all of that was happening, I was having to leave work and go to the ER, and they couldn't explain it. They sent me to cardio. They did an EKG and an echocardiogram. They were both fine. Showed some minimal um, leakage around some of my valves, but that was pretty well it and then I had fallen they were like well we don't know why that happened either so I started researching sure and I had a friend call me and my friend called me and she was like your random symptoms that nobody can explain sound like difficulties of undiagnosed cystic fibrosis mm-hmm. ah, sorry about my background noise it's fine i have it too I have to <laughs> trouble, so. yeah mine's just a uh, saw ah. um okay so your so your friend has kind of somehow either they like stumbled on it or they read something or whatever she had twins oh that were born double delta f508s okay and she didn't know she was a carrier of the disease. Mm-hmm. And when her and I had been working together, her and I kept getting sick at the exact same times. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were within the six-foot rule, if we were both sick. Because yeah. we were passing each other's germs to each other without knowing it. Right. And so when she called me with that information, I Googled it. Mm-hmm. Horse found Mary Fry in the Fry Life YouTube channel. Right. And watched a couple of her videos about, like, what it was and what it was about. And I was like, that sounds sort of fitting for the fact that if I was sick and my oxygen stats, even though at the hospital they were fine, maybe my muscles and stuff weren't getting enough oxygen. Mm-hmm. And that's why my knee gave out. Muscles need oxygen to maintain strength and blood flow. They don't have it. They weaken and get melt into yeah. a puddle on the floor. And then after the incident, it could right itself very quickly so as to be not specifically yeah. detectable. Right. And so I was like, and then with, the, with my trouble breathing and inhalers never really helping, <laughs> and then my low weight gain, I was like, hmm... This kind of all adds up and makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I called my doctor. 
because we thought it was rheumatological and all of my rheumatological stuff came back normal. Normal. Yep. Except for my vitamins. They came back low. Mm-hmm. And so I called my doctor. I said, hey, humor me. Do a sweat test. And did they humor you? She humored me. Okay. She did a sweat test. Okay. And it was high. And so what is that testing for? Sweat testing is two electrodes that go on your arm that induce sweat production. They collect the sweat, and anything below 30 is normal. Between 30 and 59 is borderline, and anything 60 or above is positive for cystic fibrosis. Typically, um, so when they do those testing, it has to be done a very specific way and very little contamination and... I have to make sure I'm not eating certain things or taking certain medications. Otherwise, it could falsify the test. Mm -hmm. I got my first results back on my 23rd birthday. Okay. They were high. I said, okay. I was on my way to Seattle Mm -hmm. with my husband. And... We were just going up there for a turnaround trip, and we were in Kansas, I think, when they called. And they said, when can you get in here for blood work? They said, I'm on my way to Seattle. It'll be like four or five days before I can get in. Yeah. They said, okay, when you get back, head up to the lab. The order will be waiting. So I did. I got back from Seattle after speaking with a lady who had... A, she was training a new service pup. Okay. And I have interests in service pups. And so her and I got to talking and come to find out her husband was one of the cystic fibrosis doctors in Seattle. Oh, wow. And she was like, I'd like you to come have coffee with my husband and kind of talk and get his opinion on everything. Sure. And his opinion was, was I most likely had cystic fibrosis and not to quit until I had the proper medication and diagnosis Mm -hmm. and all of that. Yeah, like a treatment protocol. And so when I got back, she ran the lab. She sent the lab to Mayo. They ran 408 mutations, I think. Okay. All of them came negative. Okay, and so that's genetic testing? Yes. At this point, yeah. For CFTR mutations. Mm-hmm. Where there's over 1,200, at this time, 1,200 known mutations. Right, so identified. Today, there, there's 1,700 identified mutations. Okay. With 300 still being tested. Okay. <laughs> and so when, when those mutations came back, she was like, I'm not going to humor this anymore. Okay. I don't think you have it. I'm moving on from this. Great. Thank you. So I called my rheumatologist. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, I need an appointment. So they gave me an appointment. I went up there. 
and I talked to her and I said, I need a referral. She was like, a referral to what or who? Yeah. I said, to pulmonary. She goes, you've never seen a pulmonologist, even though you've been diagnosed with asthma since you were 10. I said, never seen one. Don't know what that is. I know it's a lung doctor, but other than that, right. I, I know nothing. So she goes, okay, I'll send the referral. So she sent it, but because of my insurance, when I went to the pulmonologist, they had to have a referral for my PCP. Yep. So the doctor that told me she wasn't going to humor it anymore is now mad at me because I went above her head. Yeah. God. And so she's yelling on the phone. She finally sends over the referral. That's good. I get back to the, Even... back to the pulmonologist. Okay. Pulmonary doctor looks at me and says, I don't think you have it, but I want you to do another sweat test. I said, okay. So I did another sweat test. Lo and behold, it was high again. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, now what do we do? He was like, I want to send your results. I want to send your blood to Ambrygen and see what Ambrygen says. And is that like a well, specialized testing facility? Yes. Yeah, like a private typically, lab. Yeah, they typically, they've been the longest running lab to do CF testing privately for a very long time. Okay. And so, Ambrygen, they took my blood, they sent it to Ambrygen, Ambrygen came back, and in big bold letters across the top, they said CF carrier. Because I have one known disease-causing mutation, and the other mutation is supposed to be a benign mutation. Gotcha. He was like, I still think you have asthma. I'm going to put you on all of these breathing treatments. Okay. And not anything else. And we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Well, by this time, I had fired my primary care doctor. Sounds like that was a good move. <laughs> Even though she's well known because she's the daughter of our town vet. Mm. And so I fired her yeah. and found another doctor, Dr. Roberts. Dr. Roberts is a, was a female um, doctor from the Caribbean. And I went up to her office in Fort Smith and I said, here is what we know. Here's what we have. Here's what I can get you. And here's the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And she looked at it, and she goes, do they not know sweat testing is, like, the gold standard for diagnosing cystic fibrosis? And I said, they should, because they're a pulmonologist, but apparently not. So, can we see a CF team? She goes, I think that's a good idea. So, she sent me to the cystic fibrosis team in Northwest Arkansas. Okay. They're a non-accredited facility. Okay, so what? So who is there, or how does that work? And how does that work with insurance? <laughs> um, cystic fibrosis teams are specialized care teams that consist of pulmonary, some type of therapist, um, either physical or respiratory, typically a nutritionist, a pharmacist, social worker, coordinator. I think that's it. Okay, but so a robust care team, definitely. Um, sometimes GI, depending mm -hmm. upon symptoms, 
Yeah. Um, but you don't see GI every time. They're usually an outside team that just work with your care team. Mm-hmm. As needed. But every time you see the doctor, you typically see doctor, coordinator, social worker, um, physical or respiratory therapist, nutritionist, and a pharmacist. Okay. Appointments are typically four hours long. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a lot of people to see. And you do PFTs every time, and you get blood work drawn every time you go. And so I went up there, and they looked over my paperwork. They said, we don't think you have CF. We don't know what you have. Great. I was like, great. You guys are supposed to be the people to know what is happening, and you don't know what is happening, and you're not helpful. So my doctor was like, well, we'll do more testing. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So we go through more testing. And thank you for throwing things on my head. I appreciate it. Um, and they tested, they did what's called a fecal fat test. Okay. Which is how much fat you have in your stool when you poop. So it's like you're not digesting it, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so they did that, and it came back at an 8, but I was not told the proper direction. Okay. Of how much fat you're supposed to consume and all of that. So I knew I wasn't eating 150 grams of fat a day. Yeah. Because I don't eat that much fat in my normal diet mm -hmm. at that time because it made my stomach hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, he put me on Creon. Okay. One is a pancreatic enzyme to help you digest food. And he put me on that. I was on Simbacort, albuterol four times a day, an albuterol inhaler, ranitidine, now they're Creon, Flonase. And that was it at that point. He, that was in February. In um, June, I went back and he said, I'd like you to see Mayo Clinic. Mm -hmm. We don't have any answers for you. We don't know why you're so short of breath and can only do 18 stands in a row. So I started trying to get that ball rolling. Yeah, well, how trying was that? to get that ball. While trying to get that ball rolling, as I'm eating it on. Go for it. <laughs> um, while trying to get that ball rolling, I had insurance problems first. Well, first I had a problem trying to get an appointment. Because mm -hmm. Mayo books out for forever. Yeah, right? And it depends why you're going, but it's hard to get there, is my understanding. And so trying to get there with everything um they we got an appointment scheduled finally after like three months of me calling okay just to even get into booking basically yeah and so we booked my appointment for december 18th while trying to go through all of that and they asked 
for your insurance and all of this. Well, they ran my insurance and my insurance rejected it because in 2018, as of Jan 1, you could not take any sort of government assisted or government funded insurance outside the state of Arkansas. So you could only get treatment within your state? Yes. Okay. But there was a way to possibly override that. So we had sent in a what's called a network exception form. Mm -hmm. Saying, hey, she really needs to go here. All of my doctors on my team agreed. Mm -hmm. And they were... That was supposed to be all we needed. Right. To get everything going and get me up there to the team. Mm -hmm. By this point, it was November. It was about a month before I was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. They rejected it. They rejected the form. Insurance did. Yeah. Insurance said, well, you can get the exact same care here in the state of Arkansas. You aren't seeing an accredited team anyway. So, while working with a case manager, I was attempting to figure out how to get in to see the accredited team. Mm -hmm. By this point, I needed another new PCP. How come this time? Because my PCP went to end of life care. Oh, okay. She switched specialties. Gotcha. And when she switched specialties, she required everybody to either go to somebody else in her practice or leave her practice completely mm -hmm. and go from, go from there. So find a new person. Well... I didn't want anybody else in her practice. Okay. So, I started trying to find new PCPs. Finally, I found one. And so, I had gotten another new PCP. And he sent the referral for me to see the accredited team down in Little Rock. Okay. So still in state, but a new specialty care team. Yep. Okay. Trying to get the form approved for me to still go to mail. Mm-hmm. Well, they couldn't see me until December 14th. Which was a little late. It's, that's not enough time. So my husband and I made the executive decision to take out his work insurance, still go see the Little Rock team, but fill out his forms and stuff during open enrollment so we would have a fallback and change my appointment to Mayo, which got changed to January 28th. Okay. I went and saw Little Rock, my respiratory therapist. She was like, if it Looks like a duck, talks like a duck, walks like a duck. It should be a duck. Mm -hmm. 
it shouldn't be a mouse in dark clothing. Right. And so she was like, we need to get you on a vest. Like, your PFTs are normal, but they're not 100% normal. And so we started working on getting me on vest therapy. And... Um more treatments. Mm -hmm. We started hypertonic saline and we um, we got a sputum culture while I was culturing H-flu in my lungs. And that's pretty normal for CF patients. And when that happened, she was, they weren't concerned about it. And we continued on. And a right after I got out of the clinic, which was on a Friday, Sunday I was feeling ill. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't up to par or anything like that. So I called my team. They tried me on several different antibiotics. And then I was admitted. I was admitted for a week. And released. And after... All of that, they were like, well, you need to be on Palmazine. Okay. So then I was arguing with the insurance company about Palmazine and why it was needed and everything like that. And I'm getting closer to Mayo. Mm -hmm. I leave the 28th, and this is like the second week of January. Okay. And at that point... Were you, you were still trying to get a waiver for coverage, or would the new insurance have possibly we covered it? We just let our new insurance cover that, it. That would cover it. Or it co- cover however much fully, it would cover. Yeah. But it would cover a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So we went from there, and I was trying to get... We still had our regular coverage that covered like all of my prescriptions and stuff like that and anything that I had in state. So we're fighting with them for coverage of Palmazine mm-hmm. and coverage for a vest. Okay. And are those both really expensive treatments to your, like in terms the, of what they cost insurance? The vest, my vest is a mobile vest, so it doesn't plug into a wall. It's called a Monarch and it's by Hellrom. And I think the estimated cost is like 20 grand. Okay. So certainly not cheap. No. But... I assume, like, a one-off thing as opposed to, say, an infusion that costs that much every month, right? And then Palmazine is $4,000 a month. Okay, right. That kind of thing, which is... They're both expensive, but one-off and also recurring. Okay. And the... 
The vest got approved before the palm enzyme did. Mm-hmm. Because my respiratory therapist is amazing and continued to call insurance and argue with insurance and argue with Hillrom mm-hmm. about everything. But when I was released from the hospital, I was given a loner vest, one okay. that plugs into the wall that I could use for therapy. So I wasn't going without therapy at home. During the interim. And what does it do? Like, how does it work? How often do you use it? For the normal vest, which is called a 105 or even an Aflow vest, they work by blowing up air to a certain pressure, whatever pressure you set it to, Mm -hmm. and then oscillating the air inside. So it vibrates at a certain hertz frequency. Okay. And that didn't do a whole lot for me. Okay. And from the beginning, like before you got your own vest? Yeah. So you were trying it out anyway. Um, And it kind of helped me make a decision between an Aflow vest or a Monarch. Mm Mm-hmm. Monarch is a one-of-a-kind type of vest made by Hillrom that uses magnets on the inside to basically hit you. Okay. They swirl around and they hit each other, and Mm -hmm. I don't understand the mechanics of it all. Sure. But that's it's supposed to mimic, like, chest PT that you would get from a respiratory therapist. Okay. Which is where they cut their hands and they basically beat you to death on your back and your sides and your front and everywhere else. Okay, so they're like stimulating all around your chest cavity. Trying to get the mucus out of your lungs. Okay. So, I went with the Monarch, which is a 14-pound vest in and of itself. Wow. I'm a very small person. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I weigh 94 pounds. Okay. And I'm 5'4", almost 5'5". Five five. Okay. And I'm like 5'4 and 3 quarters. And so that works by hitting or oscillating, trying to get the mucus from the bottom of your lungs up so you can cough it out. Okay. That works in succession with a nebulizer. Okay, yeah. And with, Um, like, drugs in the nebulizer or just with saline? With drugs in the nebulizer. Like, for me, I do a nebulizer twice a day. In the morning, I do albuterol and um, hypertonic saline. Okay. 7%. It comes in 3, 5, 7, and 10, I Mm -hmm. think. And then at night, I do it with albuterol, hypertonic, wait 30 minutes, and do palmazine. Okay. Yeah. It's such a process, right? Just having the, like, medical routine where you have to time everything and, like, fit everything in and stay awake for everything. And palmazine, the nice thing, or the weird thing about palmazine is palmazine is actually made from Chinese hamsters' ovaries. Okay. So the ovaries of a Chinese hamster. Sure. Perfect. Medicine is weird. I'm like, how? But okay. Yeah. Because palmazine works basically 
how my routine works is the albuterol is used to open my airways. Even though we found out later that albuterol really does nothing for me, but it helps to keep my airways open with the nebulized hypertonic and the nebulized pulmazyme, which can be bronchoconstrictors. Okay, so it's like opening it up to get everything else in there. And the hypertonic clings to the mucus and gives it moisture. Because you can have really dry mucus in your lungs. Mm -hmm. uppers have a full range of like different kinds of mucus. Either it's dry and crusty, thick and wet, thick and dry. It ranges yeah. with everyone. The whole and texture. So they think mine is very dry because they can't see it on like an x-ray or even a chest CT. Mm -hmm. So they just think mine is very dry and there's not a whole lot, but stuff that I need to get out. Yeah. So they put me on the hypertonic that thicken or that like, hydrates and loosens it. Hydrates. And then the, the pulmazine breaks it up okay and makes it easier to cough up okay and so that, that works it's like a literal enzyme i'm guessing it's some kind of a biologic um comes from a hamster yeah <laughs> i i don't understand how that works with palmazyme but it's a mucus breaker I don't know what part of the chinese hamsters ovaries help break apart mucus but it works so i'm not going to question it okay I mean, my prion is made from pancreatic enzymes of a pig. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like, um, medicine is a weird world, I think. Sometimes we forget. Yeah. So, they So, you eventually got that some, approved, anyway, that palmitone. They've tested some plant enzymes to see if they would work as efficient as, like, pig enzymes for religious purposes. Mm -hmm. Or, like, vegans. And they they don't work as effectively if at all. Mm -hmm. So they're still working on that process. Yeah. So while we're fighting and going back and forth, I finally get homozyme approved like two days before I'm supposed to leave for Mayo. Okay. So good. It's supposed, it's supposed to be an overnight shipment. Okay. But my Walmart had already ordered it and had it sitting. Okay. But my insurance typically won't let you go through Walmart. It has to go through a specialty pharmacy and be overnight mail. Mm -hmm. Me being me, probably didn't go about it correctly, but I threatened them. And I said, you need to approve my pharmacy to release it to me, even if it's a one-time thing. Yeah. So I'm at my pharmacy, and I'm waiting on them to call me back. And my pharmacy, my friend who works there because I live in a small town mm -hmm. she keeps pressing the button to, to submit it. it to insurance yeah and she finally it finally goes through and she's like I don't know what I did but it went through <laughs> Take and it. about that time I get a phone call from insurance saying we've let it release for a one time shipment mm -hmm. because you know why make my pharmacy pay you know for the medicine and then not be able to get the money back from the person that's supposed to take it from them. Mm -hmm. 
And so I get ready to leave for Mayo. Which is packing a suitcase, two children, a vest machine, a nebulizer, all my medications, and my Palmazon has to be refrigerated. I was going to ask that, yeah. I'm going to Minnesota. Okay. During a week that's supposed to be the polar vortex. And this was from this year, Arkansas, right? It was. In a one-ton truck. You guys drove? With my grandparents. Great. There is no room. Yeah. Our floorboards are filled with stuff. Yeah. The bed of the truck is filled with stuff. We get to... Um, just outside of Mason City, Iowa. Okay. And we stop for the night. But of course that means getting my Palmazon out of the car, making sure my shakes are out of the car because I'm on nutritional supplements. They can't freeze, otherwise they explode. Yeah. Trying to make sure I have all of my meds inside the hotel room to take when I leave and when I wake up. And yeah. And like using a nebulizer in foreign places is extremely annoying. I'm sure using a vest in like other places is also frustrating. It's like you my get a monarch, routine. My monarch is much quieter mm -hmm. than like a regular 105 vest or even like the Aflo vest. It's just simply quieter. And my nebulizer is not so quiet. Um. It's just not. It's a big, powerful nebulizer. Well, it's an air compressor. For, like, yeah. For CF treatments. Mm -hmm. I mean, they make smaller ones that are quieter, that are more portable. Mm -hmm. But with the amount of treatments I do every day, yeah. it just wasn't feasible. Yeah. I burned through tiny compressors in like three months. Yeah. And so when I got done there we went to Mace or we went to Rochester the next day which is about a one and a half hour drive of course we went and got food and yeah I had a waitress spill water all over me not today <laughs> and I was like and she was very rude <laughs> so just really yeah you were off to a good start and we got up there, we checked into our Airbnb, which was really nice to have just a place where we could relax and mm -hmm. everything like that. And the Airbnb had like, they had... They left us a note, and they had, like, bowls of snacks and stuff like that. Chips and candy and cookies and anything that I could want or need to snack on. Mm -hmm. And so we got to relax part of the day Sunday. And then Monday, I had to be at Mayo at 9 a.m. Okay. Of course, there's snow on the ground, and it's freezing. And we get to Mayo, and 
my grandmother comes with me with the baby, and we see Dr. Stolsky. He's a pulmonary doctor with Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. He's also their assistant professor of medicine. And he, he was like, well, what is your main goal to accomplish while you're here? Mm-hmm. I said, to figure out why I'm so short of breath, but I have no um, respiratory symptoms as far as PFTs go. So my pulmonary function tests were always within normal range. But I get winded talking or doing things. Mm-hmm. And was that... Um, did you have any other, like, ongoing chronic symptoms at this point? Or, like, did that tie um, into other things? Like, whatever. I don't know what else that would be for something like CF, but, like, people will have, I don't know, brain fog or different kinds of chronic pain or is it most, like, your energy levels kind of, what fell under that fatigue, umbrella? Yeah. Fatigue, um, still... Um, stool issues, even on Freon, um, not gaining weight, staying pretty stagnant, Mm -hmm. not dropping, but not gaining either. Yeah. When that was your intention in terms of diet and supplementation Uh, and stuff. Shortness of breath, not being able to walk long distances, not being able to take care of my kids. Mm Mm-hmm chronic cough that had been around forever Mm -hmm. and um heart like palpitations right yeah you'd mentioned some kind of like tachycardia and stuff episodes yeah things like that Mm -hmm. and they're like okay we're gonna run a bronchodilator test to see if you respond to bronchodilators. We're going to do um, a CPET, which is a cardiopulmonary exercise test. Mm-hmm. We're going to see endocrinology, you're going to see nutrition, and you're going to see um, gastroenterology. I said, okay, this sounds like a plan. Yeah, lots of so, stuff. So the next day I had to be there at 6.45 in the morning. Comfortable. And I had a sputum culture that I had to do, which is an express sputum doing 10% hypertonic, trying to get me to cough up something. Yeah. And that one I think was good. Like, but there still wasn't enough for Mayo's lab to swab, which makes no sense because my lab can swab it and they get the exact same sample. Mm-hmm. So if my lab here can swab it and get results and they don't say, you know, not enough for adequate retrieval or whatever, mm-hmm. why can't your $8 billion lab do it, but my, you know, $1 million lab can do it? Yeah. But I wasn't going to argue. I just left it yeah. and continued on with further testing. Yeah, you had a big day. Um, then I had to do a bronchodilator. Okay. And a spirometry. Ooh. And they were like, well, you can't do a bronchodilator 
and a and a CPEP back to back. Okay. Like that's not how this works. Well, like what one of them does will influence the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to be six hours apart. So my schedule got completely changed that day, and I had to go from doing a spirometry to doing my CPET to then doing my bronchodilator. Okay. My CPET was relatively normal, 75 watts. Leg fatigue was the main issue of why I couldn't continue going. Mm-hmm. And I lasted seven minutes on the bike. Okay. And they didn't see anything as far as cardio went or as far as lungs that was holding me back. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So they diagnosed me with severe um, deconditioning. Right. Which is like I was just out of shape. Yeah, just like you haven't been Which using is, your muscles, so now it's hard for you to use your muscles. Basically, that's always like, yeah, okay, maybe true, but also like I didn't stop for no reason, even if I've continued like without. Yes. <laughs> okay. So so far, that's what you know. And then my bronchodilator came back. And they were like, albuterol does nothing right. for you. It actually makes your lung function less. So that's when you found that out? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'd been doing albuterol four times a day at this point. Mm-hmm. Plus inhalers. Four nebulized albuterol treatments. Yeah. Plus inhalers. And you didn't, and you like, I mean, probably when you're doing it that often, you don't know the difference between that and not doing it. Yeah. Exactly. And so... I saw my doctor the next day. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I think this is a good start. Let's do nitrous oxide and an overnight pulse ox. And see what your pulse ox says. Well, my overnight pulse ox showed a possible arrhythmia. And my mean oxygen level was 96%. Okay. Still not terrible. Right. Not exactly normal for a 25-year-old mom mm-hmm. who is chasing her kids and homeschools and is not exactly your average soccer mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't go to work and sit on my butt all day. Like, I have kids. Yeah. And I played sports in college and coming from an active background. Yeah. I've always had muscle tone loss. And they attribute that to the lack of vitamins that I was absorbing. Right. That and getting in my diet. Seemed to be malnourished for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so they did a nitrous oxide test. Well, at that point, I was on prednisone and Thimbaport. Those are two steroids. Yeah. So a five is normal for somebody on steroids. Okay, well, what about not on steroids? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't tell me what that number yeah. should be. Okay. That five was normal for somebody on steroids. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. 
Let's move on some more. Mm-hmm. Andrew Chronology said that it doesn't seem like I'm not taking in enough calories because I take in 3,500 to 5,000 calories a day with my shakes included. Um, with Adam, 2,500 to 3,000 calories dependent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, upon whether I'm home or I'm out and about. Yeah. Because if like, I'm out and about, I'm getting fast food and that racks up calories pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like normal things that will cause variety in your diet. So he wanted to do a resting metabolic panel to see what my resting metabolic rate was. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted to test like trace minerals and some minerals and uh, metals and um, vitamins. Mm-hmm. So I had my blood work. And I had uh, to go back early in the morning for a resting metabolic. Couldn't do the resting metabolic because I had to do that before I did anything else. So I had to come back at 6.45 the next day to have that done. And when I had that done, my resting metabolic was like 1,420 calories or something. Okay. 14. So 1,420 calories right. okay. daily intake is supposed to be between 1,500 and 2,000. Okay. Um, with adding in activities of daily living and everything, I would need 1,600 calories in order to gain weight. Okay. And then you add another 500 because I'm breastfeeding. Right. And so, so that certainly amps it up. So you're at 2,100 calories. I'm intaking 2,500 to 3,000. So why am I not gaining? Mm-hmm. So we go from why am I not gaining to... What is, what exactly is going on? Yeah. So they decide to do a, another fecal fat test. They find out on my prion I am absorbing everything that I should be absorbing. Okay. So we still have no answer as to why I'm not gaining. Mm-hmm. We have no answer as to why I'm short of breath other than I have a... Um, concave portion of my sternum. Mm-hmm. I have CF and I have four nodules in my lungs. Okay. And I'm extremely deconditioned. Right. So when I head home, I have an exercise prescription. I'm off two albuterol treatments a day mm-hmm. because albuterol is doing nothing. So there's no point. I'm changing my palmazine from doing it in the morning to at night. Mm-hmm. And then I'm supposed to follow up with an allergist and like my regular primary doctor. Mm-hmm. Because at this point they think the next possible thing would be food allergies. Mm-hmm. Food allergies, even with Creon, 
you're allergic to it, you're still not going to absorb it no matter how much prion you take. Yeah. You're just not. Right. Like, there's a different problem that that won't solve. So, when I went to my regular doctor, he sent a referral to the allergist and said, hey, she's got low BMI. And the allergist picked it back going, we don't see patients just for low BMI. Okay. So my doctor kicked it back and was like, she has low BMI from possible food allergies, and she has cystic fibrosis. Yeah. And she has random allergies that pop up that give her anaphylaxis. Like, this girl needs to see an allergist. Yeah. Because I had a random uh, allergic reaction to peanuts. Mm-hmm. After... I was eating peanut M&Ms, and all of a sudden I felt my throat start to close. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that had not happened before. Like, you had peanuts before? Yeah. Nope. And so now I go into anaphylaxis with peanuts. That's not fun. No. I used to love peanut M&Ms and Reese's and all the stuff that I now can't have. Right. And canned tuna. Like, I can eat fresh tuna. Okay. But, but something... if it comes in a can, I can't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... This is something that I feel like is, like, just starting to get real recognition in chronic illness, that a lot of people get weird, sudden, almost unpredictable allergies. I I was traveling last week, as I think you know, because we had to reschedule. And one hotel, we were staying at, like, an extended stay America or something, just some, like, cheap place with a kitchen. But they had um, lobby coffee, and I was allergic to their lobby coffee. Like, I drink coffee every day, and... Two mornings in a row, I had not an anaphylactic reaction, but, like, a full flushing, like, a full histamine reaction, you know, like, hives all over my face and stuff. And that's the only thing it could have been. And it's like, how does this happen? And why is it happening to so many people all of a sudden with, like, peanuts you'd expect, but the tuna, like, what's happening? (laughs) And then, like, I get weird, like, reactions to, like, different forms of rain. Mm -hmm. Like... I'd go outside in the summer in Arkansas where it rains, mm-hmm. and if I got water on, like, my lower legs, they'd start itching like hell, mm-hmm. and so I'd scratch my legs to the point, like, I'd have, like, scrapes where they were bleeding because they itched so bad. Yeah. And then it'd rain again, and it wouldn't happen. Right. And if I went outside when it was dry, I was fine. Yeah. And then when I was little, I'd turtle onto my back because I didn't want the grass to touch me because it itched. Yeah. So you have, like, So there's a there's another chronic illness out there called mast cell activation syndrome. Yeah. Which is a new diagnosis I learned recently. Like, it didn't... It's from, I think, 2016 is when it was classified. So it's still, Yeah. yeah, under the radar a little. And... So that might be something that mm. may happen. I've eaten like three of these oranges already yesterday. And now I this is the only thing I'm eating and I'm itchy. Yeah. You're like Like why? Why yeah. am I itchy now? Yeah. I've already eaten like three of them. Yeah. But now I'm itchy. Yeah. Why? Uh, yeah. I, that's my least favorite thing is when it's like, there's no pattern here. There's no pattern. And there's this. no hives. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can see, like, no hives. It's just, like, yeah. itchy. Yeah, something's happening. 
And, like, why? <laughs> why is this happening? Why is it happening now? Yeah. Um, That's the question. The only thing is the air in my house and the orange that is sitting on my couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something they're going to look at testing. Mm -hmm. So have you been to an allergist yet or are you waiting right now? I'm waiting on a phone call from an allergist. Okay. Because that's your next Again. Yeah. And so like the biggest portion of my story that I kind of want to get out there is like even if doctors don't necessarily want think they know more than you Mm -hmm. do your own research Mm -hmm. always do your own research and push and push and push until you have no more options Mm -hmm. um i'm still having to push to get full diagnoses of things and i'm probably going to have to push at the allergist and be like test me for mast cell test me for food allergies yeah because there's no pattern here right and it is completely random to random things, not just food. Like, food is my only, like, anaphylactic-type reaction. Mm-hmm. But wasp things gave, broke me out in hives the first time I ever got stung. Mm-hmm. This orange just made me incredibly itchy. Rain made me itchy. Mm-hmm. Without hives, mm-hmm. I get a lot of brain fog and... Yeah. Um, memory loss. I have a lot of GI symptoms. Like, could this all be histamine reactions? Mm-hmm. Right. Because my dad has a lot of allergies. Mm-hmm. My dad probably needs to be tested for mast cell. Right. But he hasn't been. Yeah. Probably should. Um, but with cystic fibrosis and having the two extremely rare mutations that I do, there's only one other girl that has them, and mm-hmm. she's 18. Mm-hmm. And her mom messaged me because she was like, hey, what are your symptoms like? What were your sweat tests like? Because they redid mine at Mayo after redoing them at Children's. Mm-hmm. Children's, they were borderline. Mayo, they were high borderline, almost positive. They were like 51 and 59 or something. Mm-hmm. So, my mutations will be sent back to John Hopkins to do full sequencing, deletions, additions, the whole nine, to make sure that there's not something we're actually missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and doctors with CF tend to take the database extremely seriously when diagnosing. Mm-hmm. So, if they see that a mutation is supposed to be benign, they take it that way. Right when you're supposed to treat the symptoms in the person because it is completely different for everybody. Mast cell is completely different for everybody. Mm-hmm. You're going to have random histamine reactions for literally everything. Yeah. And sit there and may not exactly know what what type of issues they're looking at, but like symptoms of mast cell disease or headaches, brain fog, 
cognitive dysfunction, anxiety, depression, flushing mm-hmm. of the face, head, uh, neck, or chest, hives, skin rashes, itching with or without a rash, lightheadedness, fainting, rapid heartbeat, chest pain, low blood pressure. I have chronic low blood pressure. Mm-hmm. High blood pressure at the start of a reaction, blood pressure instability, uterine cramps, bleeding, bladder irritability, frequent vomiting, bone muscle pain, osteopenia or osteoporosis, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, bloating, GERD, it's so nasal many itching and congestion, throat itching and swelling, wheezing, shortness of breath. And symptoms can be sudden and unpredictable on onset, and patients may have a few or many symptoms. Right. <coughs> it's so, so many things. And I think it'll be fine-tuned a little over the years. But yeah, it's like a lot of stuff can happen if that's out of whack. Well, it's like you have different levels of cystic fibrosis. And, like, each patient is different, even if they have the same mutations. Mm-hmm. So you have class 1, class 2, class 3, and class 4 for mutations, and each of them do different things. Okay. They figure out mast cell is a mutant issue, and it's an issue within the actual cell itself. Then they could probably fine-tune that to say okay, class one has these type of reactions, class two has these type of reactions, but you're still going to have to (coughs) treat the person Mm -hmm. and not necessarily the the class of symptoms they have. Yeah. Like Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome or EDS. Yeah. You have different levels. Um, I have PTSD and anxiety from... Um, sexual abuse when I was a child and rape when I was a teenager and then physical abuse when I got into my adult years and had bad judgment in men and some women but bad judgment and everything caused me to have severe PTSD well I didn't tell anybody around here so I waited until I went to Mayo when I went to Mayo they diagnosed me with severe PTSD Mm -hmm. and that looks different for everybody depending upon what triggered it. Yeah. Did you see somebody die? Were you a military veteran? Did you have sexual abuse? Did you have some sort of trauma like a car accident or Yeah. You got drunk and you were raped. What triggered that? Mm-hmm. So you have to treat the person and not okay, this person has PTSD because they were military and treat all of those people the same. Right. Because they're all different. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the best advice that I can give to like any doctors or um, nurses, anybody in the medical field, is treat your patients individually. Mm-hmm. Don't clump them into a class based on race or color or genes or symptoms. Mm-hmm. you've got to treat the person. And I think a lot of MDs tend to forget that. DOs are more likely to get to the bottom of symptoms and what are causing the symptoms, whereas MDs are more, we're going to treat the symptoms, but we're not going to figure out what's causing them. Mm-hmm. And that's been, like, the main difference I've found um, between the two. Yeah. A lot of 
um, MDs, so if you if you find the right one, yeah, which is we'll, always the thing, will be willing to work with you. Mm-hmm. And the best advice I can give to other chronic illness patients or um, moms of kids with chronic illness, I have a child who has anxiety and high-functioning autism, and my daughter has developmental delays. Find a doctor that's willing to work with you. Mm-hmm. Don't get a doctor hard. that's going to treat you like you're stupid. Yes. Because you, most of the time, are going to know more about your own disease than they get in their entire years of med school, unless they're specialty doctors. Yeah. Those can tend to, but it's going to depend on what area you're in. So, like, at Mayo, your specialty doctors each had subspecialties or things they were interested in helping or learning about. Mm-hmm. So Mayo tries to match you up with those doctors. Right. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But like here in Arkansas, they really don't. Mm-hmm. We really don't have doctors that personally put their interests out there. Like, hey, I'm a gastroenterologist, and my sub interests or subspecialties are malabsorption and malnutrition and eating disorders. Right. Right. And then there's probably, it's like a population thing because so many people come through Mayo yeah. that they can really choose who they want to see almost versus when you live, like I live in Massachusetts, but I live in Western Massachusetts. So also a relatively rural area. And I think people do travel to Boston for when you can and need to, but everything else, it's like, I just got a neurology referral and there's like three people total that I could be referred to. And one of them, my doctor was like, nobody really likes this doctor. So I'm not going to send you to them. You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> like these are the options. So they're yeah, probably like, not these doing are a lot of specialization. Options. Yeah. Like we have, where I'm at, I'm in, what's called the River Valley in Arkansas. So our capital is Little Rock. It sits pretty much in the middle of the state. Fort Smith is on the Arkansas-Oklahoma border. Okay. Fayetteville sits towards the north up towards Missouri. Mm -hmm. So for me, where I live is I'm equidistant to Little Rock and to Rogers. Mm -hmm. I'm 45 minutes from Fort Smith. Fayetteville's 45 minutes from there. Little Rock's about two hours. Yeah. So, anybody that I get referred to is either in Fort Smith or north or south end of Fayetteville or mm-hmm. Little Rock. Yeah. So, one and or two hours. those doctors seem to be more... Except endocrinologists, uh, most of them don't have, like, subspecialties. Yeah. Our endocrinology team up in northwest Arkansas that's with Mercy, they have subspecialties that they, when they get the referral in, they match you with an endocrinologist that Mm -hmm. is going to be the best to help you. Yeah. 
I have to have iron infusions, so I probably need to call him. I have to have more iron in April, and I don't see him again until June. There you go. Lots of things need to, to do that. Track up. <laughs> um, because I found out my third, my total ferritin stores was a twelve. Okay. Yeah. Low. So total iron. Yeah. But my hemoglobin was completely normal, so I'm not anemic. Right. It's like a but, is that a conversion issue? Something like that. The way that you yeah. are using or processing it. Yeah. Yeah. So now I need to make sure I continue to get iron infusions. Yeah. But I only have two good veins in my arms, Ugh. and IVs like to push out. And my doctor at Mayo was like, I don't think a port would necessarily be a good idea just because if you go under anesthesia, then you have the issue of losing lung function, and I'd like to preserve your lung function as best as possible. Yeah. But if you think that is a good idea for you, then you need to go ahead and do it. But because I don't know, I'm a doctor, so I don't draw blood. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what I do. Right. I'm not so the one doing I that can't, operation. Not operation, but thing. I can't be the one to tell you, hey, your veins are tiny, or hey, your veins are so scarred, or hey, this, or hey, that. Yeah. When I've had several phlebotomists tell me, your right arm is extremely scarred, and if we keep continuing to draw blood here every three months that vein could end up getting so scarred that it closes yeah and your left arm sometimes shows up and sometimes doesn't yeah yeah i can't get blood drawn on my right arm it does not happen (laughs) this is an ick thing to think about (laughs) so he's like okay based off that information depending upon how many times you have to have um, iron infusions and blood draws and all that, that might be something you talk to your team about. Right. I have to have blood draws every three months. I have to have iron infusions every three months. Probably a good idea. So I'm not getting stuck four times a year or more. Mm-hmm. But I want to see the allergist first because if I'm having a mast cell issue, then that contemplates allergy shots and IVIG and yeah. at-home IVs and stuff like that if I'm having massive flare-ups. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to wait until I know more from that aspect and go from there. Yeah. Um. But, like, all of my friends have said, you need a port because you have crap for veins. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it's know. a hard thing. It's invasive. <laughs> it's, like, obviously, you know what the benefits are. But it's, like, anything that's medical, it's not like there aren't any, you know, reasons cons. to be. Yeah, there. it's not like there aren't any cons, which like, I think is what's so hard about this, like, managing care, is that anything that feels like low risk that may or may not help. Even using a nebulizer, you're like, okay, well, it's kind of annoying, but it's always outside my body. So at the end of the day, why not do it? Or why not do it four times? But as soon as things become invasive, it's just, it's like, it's easy for somebody outside to say like, oh, of course you would do this. But like, it is a new hole in your body and it's okay to be like, this is something that I want to give some time to think about. 
like for me it's not me saying no right it's the doctors going well you have terrific lung function why risk it yeah well because if my lung function is so terrific and I go under anesthesia which I have been under many times before and not had an issue like yeah I've got mucus growing now and like anesthesia becomes a risk but if anesthesia is going to be a risk whether you're healthy or you're chronically ill right unless you're 70 years old it's going to always be a risk I'm 25 I'm willing to take that risk so I don't have issues with my veins yeah later like in life forever yeah whereas I could get a port it can be replaced every 15 years or whatever until I don't need it anymore yeah so that's pretty much the present sounds like yeah and yeah you're in the middle of it all because that's the chronic part of chronic illness yeah it's feeling in the middle um so next and we're going to the allergist applying for disability is difficult yeah oh i was going to say because you mentioned a while ago when you stopped working and then have you been not working the whole time have you tried to work yep what has that been like i've been not working since 2016 yeah gotcha gotcha and my last job was as a cna okay at a nursing home Mm -hmm. which obviously i can't do that job now because chronically ill person around six people there's some there's not a quite good thing yeah there can be some like immunocompromising problems um, I don't know if those words go together well. Yeah, that's but, fair. Yeah, debil- disability is kind of a very difficult thing. And, and because I can't use my degree or anything, and I have like $15,000 worth of student loans. That's another fun our, part. Our refund, like taxes, because mm-hmm. I'm delinquent because I haven't been two years. Mm-hmm. Um they took our refund check so then you have to go through the process of filing injury my husband and I weren't married so now we have to go through all of that to try and get our taxes back to try and pay medical bills with yeah when you're chronically ill everything gets messed up yeah it's like you need the cognitive function to sort through all the paperwork and then you need the money to handle what's in the paperwork a lot of stuff can stack up very quickly and it yeah it's hard um yeah i haven't done my taxes yet this year that's for sure and i'll note we're recording in march because this probably will come out like after tax day (laughs) or not march it's still february we're recording in february um yeah well we just covered a whole lot thank you so much for sharing and you're welcome for your for your baby girl for her patience <laughs> while we've been talking yeah. um is there anything Thanking amazon prime yeah for having creative galaxy yeah for what she's watching um it's like hashtag not sponsored yeah but... yeah totally just a casual endorsement 
Um, what was I going to say? Is there anything that we missed that you can think of? I know you did a bit of a sum up too in terms of what advice you'd get, you you would get. Not really yeah. that I can think of. Um, well, I will throw this out there. Um, if you want to support cystic fibrosis research, oh. join your Great Strides Walk near you. Yeah. Go to cff.org forward slash Great Strides. Awesome. And find a walk near you. Yeah, And you can join my national team. <laughs> um, look for Chronically Bell in the national team name. And that is me. Cool. Awesome. So. Yeah. Walk. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 24 of No End in Sight. You can find Bell on Instagram at Chronically Bell. You can find this show on Instagram at no.n.in.site.pod. And you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at BennisB. In the next episode, I'll be talking to a woman about her experiences with CFS ME and mold avoidance. If you've been enjoying No End in Sight, which I hope you have, then I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. And if you know anybody who needs to hear these stories, please share it with them too. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. Now that I'm trying to get back on a more regular work-type schedule, I'm hoping to get this group a little more active. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television, and one of these days I'm going to get to work on some spring and summer patterns. I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.